0: It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the second day of February, and that means it's Groundhog Day. That's right, 2024. By the way, Puxatani Phil up there at Gobbler's Knob said that there's going to be an early spring. There will not be a delay because apparently that's how we take our weather directions is from a giant ground rat. Okay, so this is episode 851 of Bitcoin, and I will not be talking at all about the Forest Walker system. I'm going to put together the wood vinegar stuff over the weekend. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to go listen to shows, uh, the episodes 849 and 850. However, today we're just going to do a regular news show because amazingly stuff was happening to Bitcoin in this last week and we're going to get all over it. We're going to start right now. Salvadoran president's Bitcoin strategy is unwavering amid elections. We're going down south. We're going to go all the way down to El Salvador with Helen Parts, Coin Telegraph. El Salva, as El Salvador prepares for the general elections, Vice President Felix Ulloa has expressed confidence that the country will keep its commitment to Bitcoin if his party is reelected. Aloha, and I have no idea how to pronounce this dude's name, so I'm going to just say Aloha, who's temporarily on leave to run for re-election with his running mate, President Naib Bukele, has doubled down on El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender following the upcoming elections, which Reuters reported on February the 1st. According to ULA, the International Monetary Fund has once again approached El Salvador to quote-unquote reconsider its Bitcoin policies during negotiations for a $1.3 billion loan. Yeah, the official said that the government of El Salvador has no intention of reversing the decision, adding that the launch of spot Bitcoin exchange-traded funds in the United States in early January 2024 has only added more enthusiasm. Quote, not only will the law be maintained at this moment, it enjoys the greatest credibility in the entire world, Ulola reportedly said. He also mentioned that constructing El Salvador's tax-free Bitcoin city and issuing passports to investors who contribute the equivalent of $1 million in Bitcoin would also go ahead. Scheduled for February the 4th, El Salvador's general elections will elect the president, the vice president, and all 60 deputies of the Legislative Assembly. Okay, so that is what? That's going to be Sunday. We're looking for Sunday, Sunday, Sunday down in El Salvador for the presidential elections. Uh, I don't know if you love them or hate them, but we might want to be pulling for Nayib Bukele. I mean, (laughs) it's so odd when when, when I say things like that because... He pulled some pretty heinous shit. You know, I mean, he was detaining people. He was detaining people without rights. That's just not in dispute. However, at one point or another, that country was just nothing but a, it was just a dumpster fire of crime and drug lords and God only knows what. And you see, that's, that's the problem. You got one of the members of the crew or the squad, I'm sorry, the squad in the United States Omar Ilhan or whatever her name is US senator um, saying basically that that Na- Bukele Kelly was just you know do, violating human rights left and right and I'm not sure which see that's the problem who's human rights is Naibu Kelly violating? If he left the criminals in place because he didn't want to violate their human rights, they are going to violate the human rights of the law-abiding citizenry that does actually exist in El Salvador. So whose human rights need to be violated? And if you don't violate anybody's human rights, then a group of people whose human rights you didn't violate will violate the human rights of another group of people. Your hands are tied. I, I honestly believe that the guy made the only decision that he could make given the circumstances that was going on in that country at the time. But that's just me, I guess, probably reaching for straws in either event, despite facing some criticism. El Salvador's Bukele appears to be on track to win a second five-year term in office in the upcoming elections, with an estimated 69.9% of voters reportedly approving his reelection bid. Before Bukele, presidents in El Salvador had been limited to a single term. In September of 2021, El Salvador became the first country in the world to establish Bitcoin as legal tender. Yes, we know. The news comes hold on, hold on. The decision came despite 70% of Salvadorans reportedly not willing to accept such legal tender. Uh, in the country, according to a survey by the local Central American University's Institute of Public Opinion. Okay, so yes, apparently nobody wanted it. The news comes amid Bitfinex Securities, the tokenized securities trading platform by the Bitfinex Exchange, announcing the official launch in El Salvador on January the 31st. According to Bitfinex Securities Head of Operations Jesse Knutson, El Salvador's financial performance has exceeded regional peers and expectations since the year 2021, which, quote, in part, has been supported by Bitcoin-driven investment and tourism into the country of El Salvador. So, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday the 4th, we will see the presidential elections. God only knows what's going to happen. Because Ilhan Omar, that chick from the frickin' squad in the United States Senate, She's been community noted on Twitter for a tweet that she put out a couple of days ago begging the Department of Justice and the State Department. Actually, it was more, more a begging of the State Department to look into the human rights violations by the administration of Bukele. And she got roundly, roundly beat about the head and shoulders over there on Dead Birdside to the point that she did, in fact, get community noted. And it's just hilarious to watch a United States senator be bitch slapped and have, have people just walk all up and down her ass because she doesn't know what she's talking about. And it was not more than a week ago that she was in Somalia pledging allegiance, her allegiance as not only a United States citizen, but a United States senator to Somalia. That doesn't work. That's nigh treason. I hate to say it because I don't trust this particular government any other, more or less than any other government and I don't trust any of them. But shit, dude, you just can't have your, you cannot have your United States senatorial people going out and pledging allegiance to other flags. All right? No matter how stupid governments actually are, at one point or another, you just got to look at this and go, so whose side is she on? And then a couple of days later, she starts dictating terms as to how El Salvador is going to act. And that's bullshit too. We have no business. No country has any business telling any other country how their elections are going to go, whether or not that they can take Bitcoin as a legal, as legal tender We have no business telling Bukele or the people of El Salvador what to do. I don't have business telling people in El Salvador to cook pupusas any differently than they do. I have no dog in the hunt, and neither does cheerleading squad member Ilhan Omar or whatever the hell her name is. I've never, never been more embarrassed Watching a United States Senator open her mouth is just absolutely frightening to see that kind of bullshit happen. Okay, we're going to remain down south. We're going to go down a little bit further, down into Argentina, where President Javier Malay drops their crypto tax plan, Jose Antonio lands for Decrypt. Argentina's President Javier Malay has opted to remove proposed cryptocurrency taxes from a controversial omnibus reform package. It's a strategic move to expedite the approval of the sweeping set of reforms and avoid long debates on matters that he deems less critical. The Le Omnibus Bill, formerly known as the Law of Bases and Starting Points for the Freedom of Argentines, initially included provisions requiring Argentinian taxpayers to declare ownership of previously undeclared assets, including cryptocurrencies. However, in removing those clauses, Minister of Interior Guillermo Francos said there is a greater need for rapid economic development and, you know, legislative efficiency, quote, the tax part was smaller and a delayed treatment, Francos stated, emphasizing the government's focus on achieving consensus on more agreeable aspects of that bill. With the legislative pivot, the implications for cryptocurrency holders in Argentina remain a topic of concern as well as confusion. Holding crypto or paying with it is not and won't be taxed, apparently, but selling big amounts at profit is? Quote, in the case of an individual, merely purchasing what the law refers to as digital currency does not incur a tax. Marcos Zaccaro, an accountant with knowledge on the matter, told Argentinian news outlet Iproup, UP, quote, income tax applies to the profit made from the sale, and there's also a threshold below which no taxes due. End quote. For crypto investors, this legislative shift brings more nuance. On one hand, the government's decision alleviates immediate concerns about the potential increase in tax obligations associated with the Ley omnibus and L-E-Y is lay, that's just Spanish for law, so the omnibus law. On the other hand, it underscores the evolving and sometimes precarious nature of cryptocurrency regulations and taxation. The emission of the crypto tax from this omnibus bill speaks to a broader strategy by the Malay administration. Taking a few steps back following major public pushback, a set of national strikes and protests and major criticism over the initial proposals. The goal of the lay omnibus is primarily to introduce comprehensive economic, social, and administrative reforms, which Malay says can foster economic development and freedom. The bill has generated significant discourse due to its extensive scope and the radical reforms it proposes across different sectors. However, including defense, capital amnesty, tax moratoriums, personal asset taxation, public works, pension systems, labor Formalization, privatization of state-owned companies, export taxation, the energy sector, mental health, education, environmental laws, the reconfiguration of the country's administration, and my God, even new divorce proceedings. (laughs) Critics argue that the bill's extensive scope and radical changes could potentially compromise the democratic framework that Argentina has cultivated over the past four decades. One of the primary concerns revolves around the bill's approach to human rights and democratic institutions. Critics argue that the bill seeks to dismantle essential procedures and implement regressive measures affecting basics such as access to food, housing, and health care. The bill's deregulatory nature is also seen as a potential threat, as it could lead to the privatization of essential public services without adequate safeguards to ensure quality and affordability once these services are in private hands. Another significant point of contention is the bill's stance on law enforcement and public demonstrations. The bill's punitive stance on social protests reframes social protest as a crime against the public order and potentially subjects a wide range of meetings and gatherings to new restrictions and offenses. Critics say this reveals Malay's authoritarian motives. Yes, because if you don't like him, clearly... If you don't like somebody, they're obviously an authoritarian. I, uh, that's just the way the world works right now. In either event, Malay's party holds a minority in Congress, which means that his bill is likely to face resistance, and explains why the executive is trying to give concessions on some areas. The Congress has until February the fifteenth to decide the controversial bill's fate. All right, so so it is in fact the case that the Malay administration, even though that they hold the presidency is a minority in that government. It's sort of like having a Republican president in the United States, but the vast majority of the Senate and the uh, House of Representatives is Democrat. That's sort of what's going on here, right? So I find it odd that he is getting, I mean, I find it odd. Okay, hold on. He is getting pushback on this massive bill that covers all of these disparate things. And what he chooses to compromise on, because he is a minority in the government and he's going to have a fight on his hands to get this whole thing passed, what does he compromise on? Personal assets. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to the government. He's talking to the people of Argentina. He's basically saying, you know what? I think I'm just going to let you guys have what you have and I'm, I'm just not going to give a shit about it. But all this other stuff needs to go through. So he's getting, he's going to end up with a little bit more popular support on the street because I don't care who you are. If you've got undeclared assets and all of a sudden somebody tells you that you need to declare your assets and then they come back and say, you know what? I don't think we're going to do that. Then honestly, you're probably going to throw your support behind that guy. I, I, I think that that's what this move is is that he's speaking directly to the population of Argentina when he says, you know what? I don't want you to have to declare your assets. And no, we're not going to tax above this certain point. And you can do this and that and the other. And we're just not going to give a shit. I think he's speaking not to his people in the government, but he's speaking directly to the Argentinian population. And I think it's actually going to win him some points in his favor. All right, back up here into the United States. We're going to talk a little bit about ETF. Valkyrie has become the first spot Bitcoin ETF to diversify its coin custody using both Coinbase and BitGo. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman, digital asset investment firm Valkyrie, has become the first spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund to diversify the custody of its coins according to a recent Securities and Exchange Commission filing. In a move to enhance security as well as reliability, Valkyrie is now working with leading custodian provider BitGo and it's already in addition to its collaboration with Coinbase to safeguard their customers' funds. The filing dated the 1st of February 2024 is an attempt by Valkyrie to strengthen the security infrastructure of its spot Bitcoin ETF by engaging multiple custody providers. The collaboration with BitGo aims to optimize for the safety of their Bitcoin by diversifying the funds that were all previously held with Coinbase. Quote, On January the 17th, 2024, Valkyrie Bitcoin Fund, now known as The Trust, is what their, this is a legal document, and BitGo Trust Company Incorporated, known as BitGo, a South Dakota trust company duly organized and chartered under the South Dakota banking law, Entered into a custodial services agreement, the filing stated, quote, Pursuant to the agreement, BitGo will provide services related to custody and safekeeping of the trust Bitcoin holdings, end quote. By diversifying custody providers, the firm not only bolsters the security of its ETF assets, but also sets a precedent for other Bitcoin ETF issuers seeking to protect their customers' funds. Quote, the trust's existing custody arrangement with Coinbase trust Company LLC is unaffected by the entry into the agreement the filing continued further quote, the sponsor anticipates utilizing the custodial services of both Coinbase and Bitgo to custody the trust Bitcoin End quote Valkyrie's decision to diversify their assets comes at a time of heightened focus on security measures within the Bitcoin industry by working with Coinbase and Bitgo reputable entities known for their proven expertise in Bitcoin custody. Valkyrie hopes to fortify the protection of its investors and assets. Quote, The sponsor expects to utilize BitGo services to custody a portion of the trust Bitcoin beginning on or about the date of this report, the filing confirmed. So here's the thing is what this does not look like is multi-sig collaborative custody over the entirety of Valkyrie's Bitcoin holdings that underlie the ETF. What it looks like is that Coinbase holds full sway over whatever Coinbase holds, and BitGo has full sway over whatever BitGo owns or or, or custodies for, for Valkyrie. When I first heard about this, what it sounded like was that BitGo was going to be a multi-sig signatory. Coinbase would be a second multi-sig signatory, and of course, Valkyrie would hold the third and maybe and, you know, maybe there's a couple of different people in the company, and it would be something like a four or five multisig, right? That does not appear to be what's going on. However, you can't get away from the fact that Valkyrie is the only people that are saying, we need some safeguards." I really think that they should have gone the multi sig route if I'm wrong and somebody knows that that's what they are doing that the entirety of the treasury for Valkyrie is in fact in multisig in collaboration with Bitgo and Coinbase. Please let me know, but this is not the way the Bitcoin magazine article reads to me anyway, so we're just we'll just you know we'll just leave it there. We've got some other fish to fry. Helen Parts is writing this one from Cointelegraph. Spot Bitcoin ETFs, yes, we're still here, add 151,000 BTC amidst the grand Grayscale BTC dump in January. Wow. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust Exchange Traded Fund aggressively sold Bitcoin in January. But other ETFs bought significantly more BTC. According to public holdings data tracked by Cointelegraph, GBTC dumped a total of 132,195 Bitcoin in January, reducing its Bitcoin stash by a staggering 21% from 619,220 BTC on January the 11th to 487,025 BTC on January the 31st. The other 9 funds were actively catching up, adding a combined total of 151,006 Bitcoins since the very first trading day. The non-GBTC ETFs have increased their holdings by more than 700%. That's 7x <laughs> from 18,390 BTC at the start of trading to 169,390 or sorry 169,396 at the end of January. As of January 31st, all 10 spot Bitcoin ETFs collectively held 656,421 BTC, which is up around 3% from the initial total holdings. Of three hundred and no, sorry, six hundred and thirty seven thousand six hundred and ten BTC, which was worth twenty seven point seven billion dollars at the time of writing, according to CoinGecko. The tracked data is based on publicly available BTC ETF information reported by issuers, including the updated data from BlackRock's iShare's Bitcoin Trust, iBit. According to the publicly reported data, IBIT continued to increase its BTC holdings on the last day of January, adding 2,712 BTC on the day of January 31st. IBIT's holdings data doesn't correspond with the information by the blockchain platform Arkham Intelligence, which on January 23rd identified the on-chain addresses of six spot Bitcoin ETFs, including IBIT. According to Arkham's data, BlackRock's iShares Bitcoin ETF. Holds fifty-seven thousand four hundred and eighty-eight BTC at the time of writing. Pausing to make sure that everybody understands, there's BlackRock has not been under any regulations whatsoever to provide all of their Bitcoin wallet addresses when it comes to their ETF, not to the public. Right? So Arkham Intelligence has this, you know, one this one wallet address. Who in the world thinks that BlackRock doesn't have more than one wallet address? So, you can take that last paragraph with a complete grain of salt. Now, Cointelegraph approached Arkham for a comment regarding the discrepancy, but has yet to receive a response at the time of publication. Despite all 10 spot Bitcoin ETFs adding 3% in total holdings in January, Bitcoin has seen a significant drop in price over the past 30 days. After starting the year at around $45,000, Bitcoin faced significant turbulence, tumbling below $39,000 on January the 23rd, according to data from CoinGecko. At the time of writing, Bitcoin is trading at $42,215, which is about 8% down over the past 30 days. As previously reported, many analysts and executives saw the launch of spot Bitcoin ETFs in the U.S. as a, quote, sell the news moment. With some analysts suggesting that more pressure could come from the futures market, in late 2023, Ark Invest CEO Kathy Wood predicted that some investors would indeed sell the news of spot Bitcoin ETF approvals in the short term. However, the long-term perspective is still promising, according to the executive. Right. <clears throat> so, according to Kathy Wood, just lit the whole thing. Let all the dust settle because the the dust is pretty thick. I, I, I don't know why people thought that this was going to be, you know, all settled up in like a week or two. It's not. It's not. It's not. You're talking a quarter minimum. Three months before we really start seeing the sun rays come through this giant cloud of dust that's been kicked up over this, honestly, The last three quarters in a row, because that's when we really started talking heavy about the ETFs were going to come, whether anybody wanted them or not. And there was only so many times Gary Gensler and the SEC would be actually able to say no and keep a shred of credibility, right? We knew it was going to happen. So we've we've been kicking up the dust in the playpen here for the last, you know, three quarters minimum. To let that shit settle down, you're talking at least a full quarter. So we don't need to be talking about this until the end of March before we figure out what the hell's actually going to happen. But everybody's still freaking out about price, so I figured I'd cover it at least a little bit. This is the one that I really don't want to cover, but we do have to talk about it. The United States Government Emergency Survey on Crypto Mining's Impact of Electricity Use, Cointelegraph. Emergency survey. I've never heard that term. I've lived in the United States my entire life. I've never heard of anything coming out of the United States government that was a emergency survey. This is bullshit. The United States Department of Energy has begun a mandatory information collection drive to develop a baseline snapshot of the energy consumption of the country's cryptocurrency mining industry. As Coin Telegraph previously reported the DOE's Energy Informational or Information Administration the EIA will carry out a provisional survey to measure the electricity usage of local mining firms. The DOE Statistics Agency received approval for its emergency request to collect data in January of this year. As Cointelegraph contacted the the EIA to confirm finer details of the data collection drive and its reasoning, EIA Media Relations Representative Morgan Butterfield cited a memorandum from the agency's administrator, Joe DeCarolis, requesting emergency clearance, which outlines the organization's belief that the resurgent price of Bitcoin is driving increased mining activity in the United States, quote, as evidence, the price of Bitcoin has increased roughly 50% in the last three months. And higher prices incentivize more crypto mining activity, which in turn increases electricity consumption, De quote. Decareless added that the emergency clearance, notice how they keep saying emergency. Emergency clearance approval for its mandatory survey came as the United States was in the grip of a major cold snap that has resulted in high electricity demand the EIA administrator argues that the effects of increased cryptocurrency mining and stressed electricity systems could result in driving up demand, which would affect system operations and consumer prices. I guess this gentleman doesn't know about the uh, grid stabilization efforts that are basically being engaged in by miners without a hitch all across Texas and other mining-heavy states that are in the grips of this cold snap or whatever, but they don't want to know. I guarantee it. Butterfield said that the EIA seeks to gather data to develop a baseline crypto snapshot of the mining companies in the sample. This includes quantifying the rate of change in mining activity among mining firms, identifying electrical sources for united states cryptocurrency miners and singling out regions with concentrated mining activity pausing just to say they already have all this information they don't need to ask miners for this this is information that you just get a lackey in your office and say hey go go find this information it's all public knowledge it's not that hard to make a few phone calls but no they want to put the onus on the crypto miners because they're sending a message that's what this is about This is a shot across the bow. The EIA confirmed that all commercial cryptocurrency mining facilities in the United States engaging in mining using a proof of work consensus mechanism are required to participate in the survey. By what law? How is this mandatory? Nobody's ever been asked this particular set of sets of information before, not the nuclear industry not electrical grids. Nope, nobody has to actually say any, anything about this. That's why it's a shot across the bow. This is naked, a naked attack on the United States crypto or Bitcoin mining sector. Right. So not only are they think that they're just attacking Bitcoin, but they're not. They're attacking United States jobs, They're attacking tax revenue of the United States and that tax revenue coming from these people that are paying payroll because payroll taxes goes to the government. You make revenue. You have taxes on the revenue. That goes to the Treasury Department as well. All of this shit. It is an attack, not just on Bitcoin. They think it is, but we can spin this and say it's not an attack on Bitcoin. It's an attack on United States industry, on United States workers we could totally flip this shit around but it depends on what we're going to do with it now there's a whole bunch more to this particular uh this particular story but it's just detail work as to what Perry, you know pierre rochard said and a map of mining sites in the united states but we already have gone through what we need to go through all right this is an attack and all of the miners in the united states immediately need to form some recognized coalition that has at least an annual meeting if not a quarterly meeting and i don't think that they have this but they all need to be 100% in on a on a united states government facing front and say no we're not going to do this From what I understand, they have until July the 31st to get this shit done between now and July the 31st or whatever that due date for this fucking thing is. I fully expect 100% of all mining concerns in the United States to have sat in front of Congress and said, no, we're not going to provide this information. First of all, it's publicly available information. You go do it. You spend your money on your lackeys to put this information into your emergency survey. But we're not going to do it because it's illegal. It's unconstitutional. And I say illegal because there's no law. They, you can't just, and they do, the United States government does this, I'm not naive, but we never fight back. We just say, oh, well, it's a mandate, so therefore we've got to do it. Fuck it. This is the fucking time. Today is the day. And tomorrow is the day. And all the days up until July 31st are the days for the United States people to discover the fact that you need to prove how it's a mandate. You need to prove the law. You need to you need to show the paragraph, the section, the line, the subparagraph, the subline the A slash B slash D in the United States code that forces me to fucking do this. And then you need to go to the constitution and figure out what part of the constitution allows you to actually mandate that electricity companies, which didn't fucking exist when this thing was written, has to actually tell you a goddamn thing. It's bullshit. And at one point or another, we're going to either grab a spine... They're on sale at Walmart right now if you want to go down and get one and shove it in your back and stand up and be the United States citizen that the founding fathers always thought we could have been. And what's sad is I get the feeling that they're just going to roll over and they're going to go, yes, sir, we're your little bitch. We'll do whatever it is that you want. We'll never put up a fight because revenue, because we don't want to, you know, how, what happens if 10,000 people, you know, circles, grid, infrastructure, you know, mining infrastructure facilities in Texas, and they're all armed? What happens when they send federal agents to, come, quote, close it down because they didn't sign the emergency survey? Do they just slaughter all the Americans? Do we actually end up in a firefight or do we actually stand there and say, you're not coming in the building? And I don't like, I would hope that half the people there don't even care about Bitcoin mining, that they've had enough in other sectors, like having to get yet one more regular, you know, hop through the regulatory hoops to get one more license for their fucking taco truck, because that's what all this is. This is just fence. This is fence building and gatekeeping against the United States public to be able to to make any kind of money whatsoever in an environment where making money is the most important thing we've ever seen. And I'm not talking about making oodles of cash like Bezos. I'm talking about making rent, making food bills. This is all bullshit. There is no law. There is no law that is written on the books that says cryptocurrency miners using proof of work must comply with the energy administration's request for an emergency fucking survey. I'm begging everybody within the reach of my voice to reach out to anybody that they know that has anything to do with mining and beg them to remain strong, beg them to grow a pair, beg them to go buy a spine and stop listening to these people. And instead go to their state legislatures and say I expect you to protect me from the United States government under the 9th, 10th, and 11th amendments of the Constitution of the United States because they have literally no language written in the body of the Constitution that suggests that any of this shit has to be done none of this shit is in the United States Code so therefore it's up to the fucking state as to whether or not this shit's going to go down let's run the numbers CNBC futures and commodities it got West Texas Intermediate down almost two full points, seventy-two dollars and thirty-six cents a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise down one point six percent to seventy-seven dollars and forty-four cents a barrel. Natural gas is up because it always goes up when gas when oil goes down, and I don't know why, but it does. One and a third percent to the upside. Gasoline is one point seven eight percent to the downside, two dollars and fifteen cents. A gallon, good luck finding it. All your shiny metal rocks are in the hole, big time. Gold is down almost a full point, two thousand fifty-four 2054 Silver is down over two points. Platinum is down over two points. Copper is down 0.79%, and Palladium is down 1.8. Agricultural futures, eh, they're all pretty much mixed. Biggest loser today is going to be coffee, one and a half to the downside, And the biggest winner is going to be chocolate. Nope, nope, nope. Rough rice. That's the boring one. Rice, 1.8% to the upside. Live cattle is up a third, but lean hogs are down scant as well as feeder cattle. We're talking like 0.07% to the downside for both of them. The Dow is up a third of a point. S&P is up over a point. NASDAQ is up 1.67%. And the S&P mini is down 0.17%. Bonds, all of the yields from the one month to the 30-year bond have all increased. The 10-year is now yielding four point three zero three five percent The 20-year is yielding 4.346%. And the 30-year is getting 4.234%. The one month is getting 5.39% in case you wanted to know. The dollar index, woohoo, baby, we touched 104 on the ICE U.S. dollar index, which means the dollar is strong. What the hell's going on? Well, we had a lie of a jobs report come out today that everybody actually believed. And there's not a smidgen of truth about it. Everybody I know is having problems finding a job, and yet this stellar jobs report comes out. I call bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. You can't trust a single thing any of these people say, and yet all of Wall Street is like, they probably don't believe it either, but they're like, well, fuck it. It's in writing. Let's effing go. And that's exactly what's happening. Now, Bitcoin still chilling out in this $5,000 up and down range. It's at $42,934.12. We have 0.78 BTC as the average transaction value and $112.79 is the median transaction value. Block times are low, seven minutes and 35 seconds. We have 0.35 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And it looks like 67.56 overall in the last 24 hours. Uh, Hash rate with a 22.37% rise in hash rate. Wow. 591 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 7.9 United States pennies. So that tells you what the rest of the field is doing. By field, I mean shitcoin field. Uh market cap is $843.5 billion. There are 19 million six hundred and sixteen thousand one hundred and five and one half BTC in circulation at the time. Uh, average block sizes one point seven one megabytes. Hash rate here, according to Clark Moody's uh, dashboard, is 547.5 exahashes per second. Average fees per block is 0.4 BTC, so that washes as well. And the amount of block space devoted to stupid things such as ordinals and inscriptions is a mere 1.5%. So actual real monetary transactions are winning the day yet again. Mempool looks like we've got 462 blocks carrying a measly 231,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high priority rates of 30 satoshis per vbyte that's about a buck 80. Low priority is 26, that's about a buck 56. anything under 16.8 satoshis per vbyte are being purged from mempools around the world. Now, going back to episode 849, the first show of the Forest Walker series. I've got some boosts that I forgot to get to uh, on yesterday's show. He says, or Duo 20 with 5,000 says, great idea. I would centralize the chipping, mining, Syngas, Starlink, and charging to a 40-foot shipping concha- container on a trailer. Forest Walkers have gas tanks, Syngas, chainsaws, grapplers, For small logs and trailers for wood. Probably more cost effective. Have the system start on flattish areas. Accessible via forest roads. Huge demand for this outside townships in the southwest USA. Yeah. Yeah, baby. So here's the thing. The Forest Walker idea could go one of two ways. Or it could do both. And why not? There could be a centralized aspect where it does exactly what he's talking about, where these things go out in the wood, they, they grab all the dead wood, and they bring it back to a centralized location. And that might be something I would consider if I was going to sell raw biochar by the ton, anywhere between maybe $1,000 and $1,500 a ton. That's exactly how I would get that shit done. But the rest of it needs to be out and decentralized. There's so much that can be done with decentralization as a philosophy because there's no... Here's the thing. If, I've, if I'm trying to get carbon into the soil, back into the forest soil from whence it came, I don't want to make two trips to do that. I want it to ha- happen all at the same time. I want the wood to be taken up off the ground. I want it to be converted into syngas. I want Bitcoin mining to occur and I want biochar to be shat out the other side of this system right where the wood was picked up on okay because if i have to drag the wood too centralized and then load up with biochar and take it back to where this thing came from and then spread it out i that's just a lot that's a lot more wear and tear but it doesn't mean that this doesn't have some legs on it all by itself. I honestly think both should probably be done. Spiral Crunch with 4444 four, four, four Sat says, Hot damn, brother. I love the way your brain is thinking. I had to fire up Fountain to zap you for this one. Love the idea of Syngas. Wanting to get a generator set up for it with uh, for shit hit, hits the fan situations. However, this idea is next level and needs a place to hash it out. Do we need a wiki? I don't know, man. That's all up to y'all. That's all up to y'all, man. I, I, I will throw the ideas out there. If you guys want to hash them out amongst yourselves, I will join in. But I, I don't have time to start a wiki on it, at least not right now. God's death with 537 sat says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Duo 20s with 500 says, MAGA, make agroforestry great again. And that's exactly what the Forest Walker system is part of. Agro Ford Street. That's exactly right. Is it me with 210 says nothing. Bit Gus with 200 says boost, bruh. Almost finished transferring my BTC from my ledger to my Mark IV. Feeling secure. Good for you. Satoshi Tico 101. Crazy ideas are the ones we need. LFG. Nostrigang with 100 says crazy idea, but I like it. Made me think of centralized Pennsylvania, which has a coal mine that's been on fire since... Oh Centralia, sorry, Centralia, Pennsylvania, which is a coal mine that's been on fire since nineteen sixty two, and I know exactly which one he's talking about. It's a ghost town, and I believe it continues to burn to this day. Perhaps they could use a coal walker. Yes, that fire is going to burn for another hundred and fifty years. That's that's the estimates that I've heard about it. And I've known about I've known about this particular coal mine fire for a while. It ain't the only one, but it is It's like the most famous one they had it the whole town that sat on top of this this coal vein had to be evacuated everybody lost all of their property because of it nobody's ever going back there um now uh, i only got one from yesterday's show and that's god's death 537 sat says thank you sir no thank you and that's gonna do it for the weather report Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start off by saying Kid Warp. Kid Warp's over here in zap.stream. He's in the live stream and he basically boosted me earlier with 2,100 sats like he does every single time I do the show, which basically pays for the streaming and a little bit more. Thank you, Kid Warp. But he says quite clearly, you have no right to care what the fuck I do with the service I fucking pay for. That's right. And I'm sorry for everybody who might be offended by the use of language. I'm sorry, but this is an adult show. And if you can't be an adult about the fact that language, sometimes harsh language, is used to develop a point of the fact that this is all bullshit, then I, I can't really do anything for you. Because, you know, I, I can't change your diapers on the other side of the microphone. It doesn't work that way. But I wholeheartedly agree with Kid Warp. Right here, brothers and sisters. Now, let's get on to the rest of the show with Taproot Wizards. Oh, the poor little Taproot guys. You know, Eric Wall and Udi Wertheimer. Yeah, those guys, apparently they're having some problems. However, don't be fooled by these guys. They might actually be purposely having problems. To generate people like me to talk about them. But if you want to know what the hell's going on with this whole cats thing in Taproot Wizards, they have delayed Quantum Cats release for the third time as the mint site gets fixed and tested. This is out of CoinDesk. Jamie Crawley's writing about it. Bitcoin Ordinals Project Taproot Wizards delayed the mint of its Quantum Cats collection for the third time. In a further embarrassment, for the high-profile effort, are we sure it's an embarrassment? Or are they doing this on purpose? Because you, I don't trust Udi Wertheimer to save my life. Never, ever, ever, ever I'm going to trust this guy. I kind of think they're doing this on purpose, but let's find out more. After the scheduled sale of the NFT-like digital art series was marred by technical issues on Monday, Taproot paused proceedings with a promise to resume 24 hours later. However... The plan was quickly abandoned in favor of delaying the sale until Thursday. But on late on Wednesday, on the eve of the resumption, another postponement was announced until February the 5th. So you're looking at Monday. Some 3,000 of the cats are up for sale for a fixed price of 0.1 BTC each. So, the offering theoretically could raise about $12 million for Udi Wertheimer, enough to easily exceed the $7.5 million of investor money that the company raised last year. That Udi Wertheimer, I'm sure, is, is actually spending on st- stupid shit. Because, like, like I said, I don't trust the guy. Taproot Wizard says it underestimated demand for the, from the community to purchase these stupid ass cats. In a post on X, the Quantum Cats. Handel wrote that the issues, did I say X? I'm sorry. In a post on Twitter, the Quantum Cats account wrote that the issues with the minting site had been fixed, but more time is needed for additional testing to make sure that we don't discover any other unknown bugs or on mint day. Quote, the mint website simply didn't perform as well as it should have, according to the post. Ultimately, that was their responsibility and they should have done a better job getting that right the first time. The Bitcoin ordinals protocol created quite the stir after its introduction a year ago, I guess, both good and bad, effectively allowing NFTs to be minted and stored on Bitcoin's blockchain in a similar way to other chains like Shitcoin Number One introduced a utility that had previously been lacking. However, for some Bitcoin purists, ordinals simply create unnecessary congestion on the network and serve to distract. From the original blockchain's original stated mission to be a peer-to-peer payments network. Okay, okay. Again, I've got I've got to state this because the the ordinals you know debacle and and fights and stuff like that are really raging. I kind of thought that they died down, but I you know I've, I'm listening to people that I really respect and people that I haven't heard from in quite a while make these arguments both for and against. But all the people that are making arguments for ordinals that I know and respect aren't actually making the the argument for ordinals. What they're saying is that is they're just asking a simple question. And I've gone through this more than a few times. Is the transaction in question a valid transaction that is recognized by the Bitcoin network Bitcoin core nodes, Bitcoin wallets. If it is, and it's and it's within consensus rules, then I'm sorry. I don't care what's on that transaction. It's a valid transaction. It goes through. Do I think ordinals are a good idea? No, I do not. Do I think it, If I had a choice between a hard fork or even a soft fork of Bitcoin to fork out Taproot so that somebody wasn't allowed to do this, I would say that that was a worse idea than allowing ordinals to just be ordinals, which are what? Valid transactions. I don't need to care that they're ordinals and inscriptions. All I need to know is, does the transaction satisfy the set of consensus rules and is recognized as a valid transaction on the Bitcoin network. If the answer is yes, then it goes through, but doing this, doing stuff like, and and I know there's a lot of people that listen to me that, that vehemently disagree with this. And I love that you disagree with this. I'm never going to get in your shit about it because everybody's entitled to their fucking opinion. And this is my fucking opinion. If it's a valid transaction, then it goes through. If it causes you problems, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to do something like have a precedent set where we start taking stuff back out of the Bitcoin system, something like Taproot or something like Segwit. That, the, the, I can't even fathom the size mess that that would actually make. We think it would be good, but here's the thing. What's the detritus left over? Because you know people are still going to be running a root version of Bitcoin that has SegWit. Then there's going to be another group that has SegWit and Taproot. And then there's going to be the third, and that would be the group that doesn't want ordinals at all. So they took out SegWit and Taproot. Now we've got three forks that are operating. Are we going to have, um, are we going to have replay protection on transactions on all, across all three of them? Who's going to get, who's going to give up the BC one account, uh, the, uh, 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 wallet addresses. Who's going to, who's going to do that? That's see, that's what I'm really, you know, that's what I would be more concerned about is the trash left over from trying to clean up something as dumb and inconsequential as fucking ordinals. They're going to go away because people are going to get bored losing their money. Does it mean they're going to go away this year? I, I don't think so. But rare Pepe's was a thing for like, God, it was like for a whole year and a half. I had to hear about rare Pepe's. Guys, this was in 2015, 2016. I was listening, everybody go rambling on about rare Pepe's. Have you ever heard of a rare Pepe? If you haven't, you can thank the fact that people got bored with rare Pepe's. And if you think those people are different than the people that are in Bitcoin today, you're fooling yourself. We're all humans and we get bored with shit. And we're going to get bored with this shit too. You know what we don't get bored with? Having to deal with money. That's why monetary transactions will win the day. Just not today. And not tomorrow. But soon, and probably quicker than you think. But Tether is in the news. They've had an audit. Do you want to know what it says? Because this shit kind of worries me even more. Their audit report reveals that they hold... $2.8 billion in Bitcoin holdings. This is written by Nick Hoffman for Bitcoin Magazine. Announced today, Tether, the leading stablecoin issuer, has emerged with a robust balance sheet showcasing ownership of over $2.8 billion in Bitcoin. The information comes to light following an audit conducted by BDO, a renowned auditing firm, as detailed in the official auditor's report. The audited report provides a comprehensive analysis of Tether's financial standing, including more information on its Bitcoin holdings. Tether, known for its stablecoin USDT, has consistently played a massive role in the cryptocurrency markets, facilitating transactions and maintaining a peg to the United States dollar. Quote At Tether, We look forward to a great 2024 with many new projects and products ready to come alive, said Tether CEO Paolo Arduino. I'm really excited by Tether's expansion. While Tether is mostly known for one product, USDT, the company is becoming an investor and infrastructure builder in many strategical sectors, spacing from AI to P2P telecommunications, from Bitcoin mining to renewable energy production, end quote. The company also had a $2.85 billion profit for last quarter, of which about $1.85 billion came from gold and Bitcoin holdings. For all of 2023, Tether achieved a profit of $6.2 billion. And we're worried about cats on the blockchain. No, I'm worried about something this big. No, I'm not a Bitfinex fan. I am not a Tether truther. But this is a lot of Bitcoin for any centralized entity to own. That is going at one point or another, be looked at. We already know. They're already being looked at by the SEC. It's just a matter of time when they decide to put the gun to these people's heads. Now, will they survive it? Possibly. They could be such good little girls and boys over there at Tether that SEC chair and the Department of Justice guys and and Treasury guys—they all just absolutely love Paolo Ardoino because he does exactly what he wants them or what they want him to do. Now I don't know. I don't. I've never met Ardoino. I'm sure he's a great guy, and I'm not trying to disparage him at all. I'm just saying, 2.8 billion dollars of Bitcoin on a company that made 6.2 billion dollars just being a stable coin is actually more concerning for me than kitty cats meowing on a blockchain. I don't care about ordinals. This is what I actually care about. Udi Wertheimer can go fuck himself. I'm sorry. And so can Eric Wall. But those two guys, they don't mean shit. $6.2 billion in revenue, $1.8 billion in profit, $2.8 billion in holding just Bitcoin by itself. That's actual reality. It's centralized. It's got a target on it. It's only a matter of time when they pull the trigger. We only need to know, are they going to shoot Tether in the head? Or are they going to gut shot it and take it to the hospital and say, we will pull that bullet out of you and we will make sure that you don't die. But you will do exactly what we tell you to do. Sign this piece of paper. Either way, that trigger is going to be pulled. I just don't know when. But it concerns me a hell of a lot more than kitty cats on a blockchain. Now, there's an FT, there was an FTX hack, and it was a long time ago. Either you heard about it or you didn't. And if you did hear about it, you probably forgot about it, but it's back in the news. This one out of Coindesk written by Danny Nelson. FTX hack mystery possibly solved. The United States has charged three people with theft, including an infamous attack on crypto exchange FTX. The U.S. federal government on Wednesday charged three people with a years-long phone hacking conspiracy that culminated in the infamous theft of $400 million from FTX as Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto exchange was in the period of collapsing. In an 18-page indictment filed in D.C. court, prosecutors accused Robert Powell, Carter Roan, and Emily Hernandez with conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and identity theft in their operation of a SIM-swapping ring that targeted 50 victims between March 2021 and April 2023. Their most notable heist came on November 11, 2022, when the trio siphoned off $400 million from an unidentified company. Bloomberg, citing sources familiar with this matter, said that that company was FTX. They gained access to an employee of the crypto exchange through AT&T and transferred out hundreds of millions of dollars worth of crypto. The charges offer a solution to one of the most vexing questions left in the FTX saga. What happened to hundreds of millions of dollars in crypto that disappeared in the exchange's darkest hour right after it filed for bankruptcy protection? Bullshit. Did you hear what I said? Bullshit. That was staged. It just really just so happened. Did that that's where the fourth? It was that we got hacked. Wow. What timing. What timing. As if any one of these morons, well, not even morons, any one of these people from the upper echelons of FTX and Alameda Research couldn't have picked up a phone and talked to their friends and say, hey, do you know anybody who's got a SIM hacking group? We'd like to actually get our ass SIM hacked and have that money basically laundered through this hacking agreement that we have with these people and get it you know, on the other end. It's, another, it's just another form of money laundering. I think that that's what happened. I think Sam Bankman fried and that Carolyn Ellison character and whatever their third partner was, I think they were all in on it and that they know, or at least know of the people in the SIM hacking. And they were asked to hack this particular employee and made it easy. Maybe gave them the phone number and maybe their AT&T account number on their business phone. If that's what it was, it doesn't matter. All I'm saying is that I call bullshit. This is this this is a setup to get $400 million clean. That's what this is and nothing else. If you believe that they actually got hacked and it was an actual organic hack from people that they've never met, never had any dealings with ever before, and they don't have a deal worked out to do this, then you're fooling yourself. That will be next. They'll, at one point or another, they're going to find out that this shit was a setup internal in FTX and that they did it on purpose to clean up $400 million so that they'd have some money after they all get out of jail. Okay, to good news. Domus has introduced Purple, a premium tier for project supporters. No BS, Bitcoin.com. Domus Purple is a paid membership to Domus that grants users access to exclusive features and helps to fund the project. Quote, we are pumped, pumped, pumped to announce the launch of Domus Purple. Pumple. Maybe we should pumple because we're pumped for Domus Purple. You can be a part of the roadmap for the year to come and beyond by supporting our team with this optional membership. Currently, it's open to test flight users only, but we'll be on the App Store shortly. Thanks for joining us on this wild ride. Announce the at Domus account on Noster. All right, so there's only one premium feature that you get when you pay the hundred and fifty thousand satoshi fee for one full year. Okay, one full year. There's right now you're only getting one thing, and that is automatic translations of posts. And some more perks are coming soon, but apparently right now for the low, low price of one hundred and fifty thousand satoshis. I get a full year of purple and all I can really do and I'm, I'm not getting into JB 55 shit. Okay. I'm just saying, let's lay it out so that we're f- very clear of what you get. You get automatic translation. So if you see something that comes up in Japanese on Noster, it'll translate it for you automatically into English. And while that's great, and I think I calculated the price last night at sixty three bucks for like that's what about one hundred fifty thousand? Because I was going to buy it. I want to support Domus. I love Domus. I'm a very I'm a big fan of Will, you know, otherwise known as JB fifty five. I'm not mad about this. Some people are. Some people are getting their panties into a snit about it. Then fine, don't buy the purple version. Some and it was Corn Delorean, which is one of my favorite people on both Twitter and Noster. He's one of the guys that's kind of in a snit. And he says that this proves that the value for value model is dead. And I don't think that that's right. I disagree. I'm not going to say that he's wrong. I'm just going to say I disagree. I think the value for value model has a very long way to go. I've been doing this show for well over five years. It does not pay for itself. It does not. I've asked I've begged, I've pleaded, please, you know, throw me some support. You can do that value through that, you know, value for value. It doesn't, it doesn't work. That doesn't mean that it's dead. It just means we've got a long way to go. Man, we've been the American people and most of the people in the West have been so steeped in advertising. In re- like we watch the advertisements and in return, we get to see all in the family. We watch the advertising. We get to, you know, we get to watch I don't know, USA Today for free, or well, no, wait, the Today Show for free on television. If you watch that, I, I, I can't, right? You know, and radio. Radio's always been free. They their entire model, entire infrastructures of communications. The only way it could exist is with the advertising model that we all grew up with. Why does anybody think we're going to be able to break out of that within a couple of months if, or a couple of years? We're not. Man, we're building a, an entirely new model, which is why I still come here as much as I possibly can to throw out a, you know, a, a podcast knowing that I'm doing it at a monetary loss. A big one. What do, you, do you want to be the change that you want to see in the world or do you want to LARP about it? I mean, you're going to take the pain, of the fact that you're that, you know, like me, I ask myself this question. I'm like, do you want to do this again today? Do you want to spend the hour of pre-show prep, the hour and a half of record time and the 15 minutes to get all this shit up after it's all said and done? Do you want to do that knowing that you're not going to make a goddamn dime on it? And my answer is yes, I do. Because it's important to me that we change these models. And if we automatically look at, and say, look, it's Domus Purple, therefore value for value is dead. I don't think that that's constructive. And as much as I love Corn DeLorean, and I do, one of my favorite people, I vehemently disagree with the attitude that because Will or JB55 is offering a fully paid model for a version of Domus that does things that the other version of Domus will not do, I do not think that necessarily means value for value is dead. And if we don't forge ahead, if we don't continue to do this and we let it die, then say hello to Pfizer commercials for the rest of your natural born life, because that's what you're going to get. Now, Nostriga, just letting you know, the Nostri, this is out of the Nostra report on Nostra. Announcing the third edition of Nostr.World Unconferences. This time, the Nostr World crew is partnering with the Baltic Honey Badger Conference and heading to Latvia to join Riga Bitcoin Week. Get ready for two full days packed with Nostr content on August the 23rd or August the 22nd and August the 23rd. This is what I really want to see. I want to see Bitcoin conferences start including NOSTER stuff. And Riga's going to do it. You know, it's going to be forced on them to do it. But I mean, I just don't see the, it's not the value. It's not the value. I take that back. I just don't see why Bitcoin conferences haven't included just as much Lightning Network stuff. And now we need to include just as much NOSTER stuff. And now, honestly, as much as I, I may be wrong about eCash and, and fediment and stuff like that, we need to be talking about that sh- shit too at conferences. It needs to be not just a Bitcoin conference. It needs to be a Freedom Conference. And the only way we can do that is to get Bitcoin conferences to start injecting themselves with stuff like Noster and Lightning Network and fediments and eCash and Cashew and all that kind of shit. So, we, And all at the same time, so we can all talk about all of those contexts Together, instead of just Bitcoin or just Lightning or just a Nostra conference, it makes no sense. They're all connected. And if they're all connected, and they are, I'm not wrong. Somebody can disagree with me, but you're wrong. I'm right. They're all connected, and they all build upon each other, and they all substantially reinforce each other. Why are we not having complete conferences about all this? That's what I want to see. Thank God for Riga. One of these days I'm going to be able to go. It's just not today. Oh, um, the Beef Initiative. Uh, my friend, Texas Slim, I've had in my pocket the private and public key pair for the Noster account for the Beef Initiative for well over a year. I started posting on that account again. Basically, I'm ripping stuff off of the uh, Beef Initiative uh, Twitter account. And just putting it directly into Noster. And since I started doing that like, like last week, I think this, this account now has 538 followers. So, go to Noster. Look for The Beef Initiative. It's Initiative at nostrplebs.com. Is the NIP 7 or NIP 5? I can't remember which one that is. Um, NPUB will be in the show notes. But it's just look for The Beef Initiative. Or... However, you know, whatever client you're using, if you can use it to look for uh, different NIP 07 or 05s, type in Beef Initiative at NostraPlebs.com and follow the account and re-note all of the stuff that's already in there and talk about it. Create a buzz. Do the same for my podcast, the Bitcoin and podcast, so that I can in turn help people like the Beef Initiative get their word out, their name out. We all need to support each other. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. From the book, the very embarrassing book of dad jokes. I have a couple for you. What do you call a man with a seagull on his head? Cliff. What do you call a man with a piece of grass and a seagull on his head? Heath cliff. What's yellow and dangerous? Shark infested custard. That's it. I can't do anymore. Some of these are just way too dumb. Way too, they're not even cringeworthy. They're not groan worthy. I don't need to laugh at them, but I do need to at least get a groan out of it. And some of these are just, some of these are bad. Really, 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 really bad. Um, just a, a parting note about the Beef Initiative uh, Noster uh, account. I'm going to be turning that over to Texas Slim's publishing company. I just want to get it to where it's got enough enough people following it, as well as enough activity swirling around it that they don't abandon it. They've got a lot going on. It's not a big crew. I don't mind doing it for them, but it's not my property. Right, I got to do the right thing here. So please, please, please go on your favorite Noster client. Look for the Beef Initiative. It's Beef Initiative, all one word, at com. That's Beef Initiative at com. Please, please, please go do that. Get it followed. Send it out to all of your Nostra buddies. Tell them to follow it too. And I'll keep putting stuff on it. I really want to get this thing to a thousand followers minimum before I turn it over to, um, oh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Jude. June. Is it June? Yeah, June is is the guy's name that's the, uh, basically the, I don't know. I guess he's sort of like a, the main publisher for Texas slim and the beef initiative. He does, he does a lot of their media work, if not all their media work. And I need to turn that over to him, but I just don't want to turn over a a dead account. I just, because it's like, it's important for them to have a name on Noster right now. They don't have a team to be able to do that. But if I give them something that's vibrant and alive and filled with followers and people who are really digging the content from the beef initiative, then they've got a better chance of keeping that son of a bitch alive. That's what I want to see and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.